are glad you're here today. Thank you for joining us. It's a cold day outside, but this is a great place to be this morning. And for those who are joining us online as well, we're glad you're joining us. We want to focus in on the glory of God today and on his greatness on what he's done. We want to read something for you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In his hands are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. For since the creation of the world, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. Understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. If you'd stand and join us as we sing. about an experience he had. He got a vision of the throne room of God. And I just want to read that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. I just want us to get that sense of the majesty of God, the throne room. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. And they were calling to one another, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That's the kind of God we serve. That's just a glimpse, just a glimpse. As we continue to sing about him, keep that picture in mind. Thanks, praise team, for leading us this morning in worship to our God. In that portion of our worship, I'd like to let everybody know that I consider the whole thing worship, so all of life is worship. It should be, and not that it always is, but it should be. Good to have you with us this morning. I'm grateful for those who are joining us uh, online and those who are in here in person and uh, just want to remind you that if uh, you are here, if this is the very first time you've been here, we do have an extra flap on the bulletin if you happen to pick one of those up. If you have time and have a pen or whatever, if you'd fill that out. And then our offering is in a box on the welcome table, so we're not doing in-person offering. It's just as people feel led to give. They, you can give uh, online or you can give at the box. We're just grateful for you being here. If uh, you are guests, we have a little gift for you at the welcome table, so we'd be glad to have you pick that up as you leave, this, uh, leave a little bit later this morning or this afternoon. No, won't be this afternoon. Uh, by God's grace, it won't be this afternoon. A um, couple of announcements. If you're young people, uh, I don't know, there, no, there's no Sunday school this morning, so that's, uh, that's good uh, to know that, so we won't be dismissing that. Also, I want to remind you that two weeks from today, we will be having a baptism, baptism service. So if you're interested in being baptized, you need to email megan at creeksidedm.com or you can talk to me after the service or get a hold of me. We'll have a baptism instruction class for those who 
haven't gone through that, and you need to talk to me about when that will, when we can schedule that. Uh, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. We're also in the process, tentatively, of planning a, uh, a parent-child dedication. We have had, by God's grace, several little little ones brought into the world over the last year, and so we're looking forward to having a chance to uh, recognize the parents' desire to commit them to the Lord and commit themselves to raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So those are the things that I think I need to call to your attention, and I would just like you to join me as we pray. If we could get started that way, that'd be great. Father, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning, and you have never failed us. And yet I know that there are times, Lord, when we feel like you've abandoned us. We feel like you've forgotten us. We feel like you are distant from us, and yet you are never far from us. And I pray that you would give us wisdom as we look into your word. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the truths that you have for us in this text, that we'd be sensitive to what your spirit is doing and teaching us And I pray that you'd give us the adequate reverence for your word, which is the word of God, and that we would receive it as you intended, and that we would take it seriously. God, open our time, our hearts to to the truth, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In, in In a Harvard Business Review article that was entitled, or that is entitled, I guess, The Ideal Praise to Criticism Ratio... Two gentlemen, Jack Zenger and Joseph Folkman, referenced another man by the name of John Gottman in his analysis of wedded couples' likelihood of getting divorced or remaining married. And here's what Gottman said. The single biggest determinant is the ratio of positive to negative comments the partners make to one another. Now, again, this is a secular study, so it's not, I'm not, I don't think they're coming from a Christian perspective. They're just saying the, the single greatest determinant as to whether couples stay together is the, the number of negative, positive to negative comments. And he said the, the optimal ratio is five to one. Five good ones to one bad one, okay? Five positive to one negative. For the couples who, who don't make it, then it's, it's typically three positive to every four negative. Okay, so it's just uh, the, the weight of the negative is, is huge. Gottman's findings also agree with a couple of other uh, noted psychologists who've done studies in this area. One is Cliff Notarius of the Catholic University who stated in a study that was done much earlier, he did this study with a guy uh, by the name of Howard Markman. Now, I'm not giving you these names because I think you'll recognize them, Okay. I'm giving them so give credit where credit is due. It's not that I came up with these studies or did these studies. But here's what Notarius said. Hostile put-downs act as cancerous cells that, if unchecked, erode the relationship over time. Now, I cite these studies and I reference the, the ideal praise-to-criticism ratio because it's, it's important to know that our words have an impact on marital fidelity. But it's even more important to know what Jesus said about the impact of our words on our eternal destiny. And that's where we're going this morning, is where, what impact do our words have on our eternal destiny? Because in Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 31 and going through verse 37, uh, Jesus issues two more indictments against uh, those who claim that he's working for the enemy, 
particularly the Pharisees, in order to confirm who he truly is. And in doing so, he also reveals who they really are. Not only to confirm his identity, but also to work to convince us that we should accept him for who he is. And to understand and and convince us also that we, what we say, uh, determines our eternal destiny. You know, has has an impact on our eternal destiny, affects our eternal destiny. So that's where we're at in Matthew chapter 12. We're continuing our study in Matthew. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, or if you want to use your phone or your device or whatever you want to uh, look at, there in the seat uh, underneath the seat in front of you, there there should be a a Bible too. So if you want to get that and open it up to Matthew chapter 12, uh, 12, uh, that, that would be good. And so we're going to look at these, these, uh, these two indictments, but I'm going to read the text first of all. So I'm in Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of his evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Words matter to Jesus. It matters what we say. And what we see, first of all, is he's he's indicting now. Uh, We're continuing on in our study, and so Jesus has just been accused of casting out a demon and healing a man as a servant of Satan. And he's, he's made it very clear, no, that's, uh, that's not, not how it is. I'm, he's arguing against the Pharisees' accusation against him. And so now he comes with two more indictments. And the first one is this, in verses 31 and 32, he, he declares or reveals that accusing him uh, of being the enemy is really unpardonable. It's inexcusable. And we're going to see how he teases this out and how he explains it because Jesus indicates that the blasphemy of the Spirit is an unpardonable sin by contrasting two categories of sin and their consequences. And the first category of sin, as revealed there in verse 31, and he says, or verse 31, he says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy. Well, the, any sin and any blasphemy is forgivable. That's what he says. In verses 31, 31, the first part of verse 31 and the first part of verse 32. First part of the, for 31, he says, Therefore I say to you that any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. Now verse 32, And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man. And he's established that the Son of Man is him. He is the Son of Man. He's the prophesied Messiah. So anything against him is pardonable. Notice he says therefore. So the therefore, uh, and again, uh, when we see the word therefore, you ask what it's there for. It points us back, it points us forward, it points us back to at least to verse 30, uh, 22 in Matthew chapter 12. And that's where he was there and he was healing this guy, okay? But it particularly has emphasis for the immediately preceding verse. So if you look at verse 
30, it says this, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So it's especially noted that the fact that nobody is neutral with Jesus. So it's therefore, in light of the fact that I healed this guy and cast out the demon and you accused me, and in light of the fact that I just got done telling you that nobody is neutral with regard to me, now listen up. And then he says, I say to you, he's talking to the Pharisees, all right? He addresses the Pharisees, and then Jesus reveals this rich and repeated theme that is woven throughout the Scriptures, that is such a blessing to you and me, and that theme is the greatness of God's compassion, the greatness of God's mercy, the greatness of God's love for the lost. And he says, any sin and blasphemy, any sin, any ungodly thought, any ungodly intention, any ungodly action. I was thinking about, well, this verse brought to my mind and Jesus' response to it in Psalm 103. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You know, he, he's, he's, he's gracious, he's, he's, he's compassionate. He will not strive with us, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our iniquity. He has not rewarded us according to our sins. As far as, as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his compassion towards those who fear him. As far as the east East is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. You hear what Jesus is saying? Our God is so gracious and so compassionate. And not just sin, but blasphemy. Now what's blasphemy? Blasphemy is to deliberately and consciously speak evil of, berate, or to mock God. Think the Apostle Paul. I hope, I think we have 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Look on the screen, or you can look in your Bible if you want. But it says, even though, this is Paul speaking, even though I was previously what? Notice the word? A blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He didn't have all the light. <laughs> he saw the light. In Acts chapter 9, he saw the light. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance that Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Now folks, that's, that should be encouraging to us. God's great mercy. It's very good news for a, a sin-filled fallen world that there is forgiveness in, in Christ. That's what Jesus said I came to do. That's what the prophets said he would do. Matthew chapter 1. His name will be Jesus, the angel said. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. How does that happen? Well, I'm going to go over a ground that we've covered many times, but I'm going to keep covering it because that's the exciting. What is the good news? The good news is we're messed up. We're really messed up. And what's really fascinating, this morning in the first service, we were talking about, uh, uh, was opened up, Norb opened us up into Revelation chapter 4, and we're seeing the majesty and the holiness of God. And in light of the holiness of God, we see how horrible we are. That's one of the marvels about drawing near to God, is because then we 
our, our, our darkness is exposed as we draw near to the light. We're all sinful and we're messed up and we, we deserve God's wrath. Isaiah said it, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. The wages of our sin is death. So we're messed up. We deserve God's wrath. That's not good. But here Jesus is saying, repeating, that God is merciful. And we know that the scripture says that Jesus, this Messiah, as was prophesied in Isaiah, he would go to the cross. He would suffer in our place. And it says that in Isaiah 53, 5, among other places. It says that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 uh, Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. We're messed up, deserve death. Jesus went to the cross and died in our place. Now we must accept it. We must embrace what Jesus did, personally trust his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1. He didn't say that we had to. That's what he was referring to when he says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. We've been restored. We've been purchased out of the slave market of sin. In him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Even the forgiveness of our sins. Well, the redemption is the forgiveness, okay? According to the riches of his grace, which is what? What's grace? Getting what we don't deserve, right? It's a free gift. The riches of his grace, by his blood, he made it possible. Forgiveness is applied through faith in Christ and Christ alone. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if I got these in the presentation, but in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, there are there, we have peace with God. Declared righteous because of our faith, because we trust that Jesus is the one who did it. And a little bit later in verse 9, he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath. Get it? We are saved from the wrath. What do we need to be saved from? The good news is we can be saved from our, the punishment we deserve. And I hear that in Jesus' words. Any sin and any blasphemy even something when you're, you're criticizing Jesus, that's verse 32, the first part of verse 32, just so you know I'm not making it up. If you speak against Jesus, it can be forgiven you, okay? And we know that in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, what is Jesus hanging on the cross doing? <laughs> Forgiving those who put him there. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't know about you, but... That's good news. That's gracious, great, and wonderful and glorious news because we deserve judgment. God, in his mercy, has made a way possible. Jesus is asking the Father to forgive those who are responsible for killing him. Those who have an incomplete awareness of who Jesus is, they don't really understand it all, well, you know, we can be forgiven if we get fuller light. He's not there to condemn those who don't have the light. Until we get light, we can repent and turn from our sin. And believers, 
believers, we, we mess up too. Uh, our, our sins have ultimately been forgiven, but we must be restored into right fellowship with God. And so he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess our sins. It's 1 John 1, 9. So God will reconcile lost sinners and he'll restore wayward believers. That's the wonderful message. God's grace is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. It's greater than all our sin, except that's the second category of sin, which is unforgivable, which is blasphemy against the Spirit. Notice he says in the end of verse 31, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoa. Blasphemy against the Spirit is to speak against the Spirit. It's to harden ourselves against it. And it shall not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come anytime. Mark chapter 3 verses 29 and 30 makes this very clear. If you look on the screen it says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is the parallel passage to the one we're looking at in Matthew chapter 12 when the Pharisees were saying that Jesus cast out this demon and healed this man who could not speak and was blind. They were saying he did it by Beelzebul, the, the ruler of the demons. And this was the unpardonable sin. See, the spirits work through Jesus. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, which he did, he cast out demons by the Spirit of God, because we saw earlier in Matthew chapter 12 that the Spirit of God rests upon him, so any work that he does is of the Spirit. His work in healing and exorcism, and not just in this passage, but in previous passages. You go back to Matthew chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 9. We see all times, all kinds of times, Jesus is healing people and he's casting out demons. Even raising people from the dead. See, the Pharisees' offense represents a willful, deliberate, and permanent refusal to accept the unquestionable evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. That his work is the work of the Spirit of God. Such an offense has eternal consequences and it will never be forgiven. And I quote Hendrickson's commentary uh, on Matthew. He says this, Their sin is unpardonable because they are unwilling to tread the path that leads to pardon. But when a man has become hardened, so that he has made up his mind not to pay any attention to the Spirit, he has placed himself on the road that leads to perdition. Anybody, all people who willingly, deliberately, knowingly, permanently reject the Spirit and turn their backs on Christ, cut themselves off from, from being saved. It's a permanent condition to, to deliberately, willfully, permanently reject the work of the Spirit and the person of Jesus. You see, if you have full light, you, I mean, how, how much more light could you have? You'd be standing right there seeing Jesus cast out demons and heal the person in the power of the Spirit of God and then say, well, that's from Satan. 
You can't get any more light, and, then, and then once you have all the light and you reject the light, it's over. That's what I hear Jesus saying. Some of you know the story of the Titanic. I'm not saying that you watched the movie. I'm just saying you know what happened in the Titanic, right? It hit an iceberg, and then it went down, and a lot of people lost their lives. But here's the really interesting fact to me is that everybody who stayed on the boat lost their life. I think that's accurate. But the people who jumped off the boat and swam in the frigid waters and got in life rafts, many of them were saved, and there was plenty of room for more. But they didn't all get off. They had the opportunity, but they blew it. Jesus says, you have all the light and you reject it. I can't help you anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, now is the day of salvation. Okay. Now is a favorable time. At the favorable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is, now is the day of salvation. And so I would say to you folks, don't wait for more light. If you hear and understand that Jesus is the light, he'll forgive your sins. If you turn and trust in him, do it today. Now, some of you say, well, this hardened, pardonable sin thing, it's really kind of complicated and it's difficult and I just don't know whether I've committed it. Let me tell you this. If you're concerned about or fear that you're guilty of committing the unpardonable sin, you haven't. I'll say that again. If you fear or you're concerned whether you have committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't or you wouldn't be concerned or fear it. Because if you've committed it, you're completely hardened against it. Okay? That's all I'm going to say. Second indictment that Jesus makes, the, the first indictment that Jesus makes is, is accusing our Lord of being the enemy is unpardonable. Secondly, accusing our Lord of being the enemy is evil. Okay? Verses 33 through 37, uh, Jesus took the Pharisees on three little journeys. Uh, to confer, uh, three part journey, one journey, three parts, I guess you could say, or three little separate journeys to uh, confirm their wickedness and convince everyone that our words have any eternal consequences. First part of the journey is that our Lord calls for a determination of character based on conduct. This is verse 33. Either make the tree good or, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Uh, Jesus Thought, sought to use this illustration to expose not only the Pharisees' identity, but his true identity, who he really was. Now, so if, if you will, I think the tree, Jesus is pointing them back to their statement about him. You know, they're saying he's doing works of Satan. And he's saying, no, if the tree is good, if I, Jesus, the tree, am good, because you see the fruit of the tree is good, then... I'm good, all right? Either Jesus, the tree, is good and his works, the fruit, are good or the tree is bad and his works, likewise, bad. So Jesus can't do good works and be a bad tree. He can't be a bad tree and do good works. Doesn't work that way. So Jesus can't be bad if his fruit is good because a tree is known by its fruit. What kind of a tree? Orange tree. All right. What kind of a tree? 
Apple, all right? How do you know that's an orange tree that produced that fruit? How do you know it's an apple tree that produced that fruit? Because the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus says, good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. You said I produce bad fruit, but I'm telling you I produce good fruit. And if I produce good fruit, then I am a good tree. How do we know that Jesus produced good fruit? Is healing a person of their physical ailments and exercising a demon good fruit or bad fruit? Well, it's good fruit. It's good fruit because in doing so, he was delivering those people from the power, the destructive power of sin and Satan. So if he, if he, if he delivered them from the destructive power of sin and Satan, uh, sin would be the result, or result in the disease, right? And Satan is the one who is responsible for the, sending demons to uh, possess people. Then Jesus has to be good because his fruit is good and the tree is known by its fruit. He, the tree, Jesus, must be good and not bad, which makes what true of the Pharisees? Their fruit is bad, which means they are bad. All right? This is what Jesus is doing. Secondly, the second part of the journey is our, our Lord levels an accusation of corruption in the, in the form of a question. Actually, this is really tricky. Verse 34 um, begins really, really uh, endearingly. Uh, Jesus trying to warm their hearts and win their favor as the, the audience that he's trying to reach with, with the good news of the gospel says, you brood of vipers, you snakes. Now, so when I say, I mean, I know it says in the outline that our Lord levels an accusation. Uh, I can't write everything in the, in the bullet point, okay? But he, he, first of all, he makes the accusation with an appellation, a name, title, you brood of vipers. And then he teases it out fully with a question, all right? Brood of vipers, he's comparing the Pharisees to venomous snakes who are deadly, they're deceitful, and they're bent on destruction. I think we have a picture of, yeah, do we have it? Oh, wait a second, that doesn't look very good. I can't see anything there. Oh, you need to flip it sideways. Okay, well, uh, you, can't, you can't do that now. I think they couldn't see it. Well, it's anyhow, uh, if you see in the middle, there's these uh, black and white stripes, okay? That's the tail, okay? It's in the shade doesn't matter. I took this picture when I was visiting my mom in Arizona and we were walking on the trail and this, it's upside, it's, it needs to be laid on its side, but it's a rattlesnake and the bugger, if you can zoom in on it, which you can't do very good, his, his, uh, he's about as big around as my forearm uh, and he's got uh, several rattles on that rattle. He, he's a venomous snake and, you know, I didn't really hang around, you know. There were people trying to get closer and I thought, you people... Are foolish. I've seen a rattlesnake in uh, my father's pasture one time. I was with my grandpa and we were working, uh, doing some fencing and we were driving along and my grandpa saw this snake, rattlesnake that was uh, laid out in the, in the field and it was about a six or eight foot long rattlesnake and uh, it was big and we got out and kind of looked around at it. We didn't get too close. They're nasty. And Paul says, you are nasty. 
You are snakes. And no, no accident, you know, that, that it was the serpent that, you know, deceived Eve, okay? So he's calling them these snakes. And so we see that he's, he's saying that the, the conduct of these people is, is fitting of, of being, uh, being a snake. Wow. Brood of vipers. Jesus turned the slanderous accusations of the Pharisees on its head. You call me a snake. You say, I'm working for Satan. No, I'm saying you are working from Satan. It's not Jesus who serves Satan. It's the Pharisees. And Jesus didn't just say it here. I want you to see in Matthew chapter 23, a couple of times he says it there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around this, on the sea and the land <clears throat> to make... Did you just lose it? I lost it. To make someone uh, uh, a proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You snakes... You offspring of vipers, how will you escape? How will you escape the sentence of hell? This is powerful indictment against them. He confronted the sin. He confronted their sin so that other people would see that it was sin. He's, he wants everybody to know that it's not right to do what they did. Because he wants people to come to himself. Wants people, people can't be saved from what they don't know is sin. This is the perilous time in which we live. Because if we follow what the Word of God says and we articulate the sins that are articulated in the Word of God in this culture, we are also going to be, if we aren't already, considered of guilty of hate speech. We're going to be labeled as those who are doing harm to people if we say that stealing is sin. That looting is sin, that rioting is sin, that violence against others and vandalism is sin. If we say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and that's all there is, it's sin. If you say something other than that. We'd wait for the hammer to fall. This is God's word. So God said, if people don't know what sin is sin, then they won't turn from it. How, how, how can you take a parent teach their child to steal. If a parent teaches their child to steal, you know they're condemning them to hell. I didn't say it. Paul did. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And he lists a whole list of people who will be guilty of hell. They'll be condemned to hell. And theft is one of them. That's not the only one. There's several sins that are mentioned there. You see, people must Turn from their sin. I like what John MacArthur says. It's never to God's glory or man's good to encourage in any way those who do evil or to minimize sin. Because sin is what condemns us to an eternity apart from God. And so he opens the word and he says, no. How can you being evil? The Pharisees are corrupt. How does he know that? Because their fruit is bad. <laughs> so they're bad people. How can you speak good? You can't. Because if what's in your core is bad, you can't speak what is good. And none of us are born speaking what's good. Paul said it in Romans chapter 3. There's none righteous. No, not one. None of us does what's right. David admitted it in Psalm 51. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We're sinners by Nature, this is David, and by choice, that's Paul. None of us does what's righteous. And we're destined for an eternity apart from God. And the only way that we can be delivered from that is through faith in Christ. The Pharisees were corrupt because their fruit was foul. 
And that's why Jesus came to the conclusion that he did in verses 34, in the middle of 34, verses 35. For the mouth speaks. How can I say, you brood of vipers? How can you, being evil, speak what is good? They can't do that. Why? Because the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. It's the principle. The principle now that's articulated is, is fleshing out the parable that he articulated in verse 33. So the parable about the tree and the fruit, now he's fleshing it out in the form of a, parable, a principle. Here's the principle. The principle is a good heart brings forth good words. A bad heart brings forth bad words. Now that's my version of verse 35. The good man out of his good treasure, good person out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Okay? Here's the deal. God's utter blaspheme. They blasphemed, right? They blasphemed against the Son of God, Jesus, God's Son. It revealed their depraved heart. Their fruit revealed their heart. What comes out of our mouths is the truest test of what fills our heart. I don't drink coffee. Uh, that's fine. You do. That's good. I'm not criticizing you. I just I don't drink coffee. But if I did, and I was carrying around my coffee cup, which is, is kind of crazy now because everybody has their Yetis and their, you know, whatever, their things that they're carrying their coffee in. Uh, but if, if I carried my coffee around in a coffee cup and you bumped into me, what, what, what spills out of the cup? Coffee. Not grape juice. Uh, you know. If we're walking around and we get bumped... What spills out? What fills the heart? Jesus says, what fills your heart, Pharisees, is bad stuff. It's not good. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 18 to 19, uh, Jesus says this, But the things that come out of the man come from the heart, and those things defile the person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, acts of adultery, other immoral sexual acts, thefts, false testimonies, and slanderous statements. That's bad stuff. What comes out of the heart? What comes out of the heart is that which defiles the person. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, "For you, you're, you brood of vipers, you being evil, how can you speak what is good? And I know that you can't speak what is evil or what is good because you are evil, and I know that you're evil because of what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth is blasphemy against the Spirit of God because you claim that the Son of God, who committed a miracle and performed a miracle and healed a man and cast out a demon, did so by the Spirit of God, and you said that he did it by Satan, so you are bad. The fallen heart is a cesspool of sin, okay, that spills out of an unbeliever's mouth, all right? Sensual, perverted people speak crudely. Jealous people speak selfishly. Proud-hearted people speak slanderously, hatefully, critically, judgmentally. A wounded heart speaks harshly and defensively, sharply, and a deceitful heart doesn't tell the truth. I did a quick study on social media, you know. So this is very scientific because I did it and it was on social media. For both of those reasons, you should take this as really solid stuff, okay. Uh, 
But I just scrolled down, you know. And, and uh, so many, not all of them, but many of the posts that, that, that I read were, were crude. Not so many, because I don't follow too many crude people, but uh, there, were, there, were, there, were, there were some crude comments at a quick glance. They were critical, they were demeaning, they're putting down other people, mocking people, making fun of people. There weren't that many uplifting, encouraging, uh, gratifying, and praiseworthy comments and posts. You know, when I say, if we say to someone, you're worthless, you're ignorant, you know, nobody cares about what you say, nobody cares about what you think, that's hurtful, damaging stuff. And it comes from an evil heart. The opposite's also true. When we praise people, when we encourage people, when we compliment people, when we say, I really appreciated the fact that you did this. What you, what you said there was so encouraging to me. You really challenged me. We think those things, but why don't we say those things? We can be fruit and, 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 and water and encourage and build each other up. Both the content and the intent of what we say reveals our true heart condition. I'm saying the content and the intent reveals what's really in our heart. Because I can say the right things, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> and I can have all the right reasons, but not say the right things. Uh, so both of those reveal it. I know I'm old school, but when I was in college, we had a computer programming class. In those days, we had, to, uh, we had to write the programs. We had to punch cards. You know, there's like these cards like this, and we had to punch them out, or, and, and, and that was the code. And we had a stack of cards, and then we had to send that stack of cards off to some computer room that was probably as big as this building where they processed it. Okay, and my computer prof taught us these, this word, gigo. G-I-G-O. Garbage in, garbage out. Okay? Doesn't matter what you think, but what you put in is, is what you get out. So just think about that. In our, in our lives, it's garbage in, garbage out. If my life is getting fed with garbage, it's garbage is going to come out. Good hearts dwell on good things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Good in our hearts. Now, why is an examination of our heart necessary? Well, that's the, the last part of the journey. Our Lord issues a declaration of judgment that's based upon, founded, grounded upon what we say. Verses 36 and 37, he says, at the judgment, the last part of verse 36, for it, in the day of judgment, at the final judgment, when the Lord de is, is declaring who's in and who's out of the kingdom, here's what's going to happen. Our words will be one of those criteria that kind of weigh in the scales. Okay? Now, let me hear this. It's by your words you will be justified or condemned. Now, I want to be very clear here. Jesus my conviction, Jesus is not saying that our words are the means of salvation or condemnation, but the measure of the evidence of our spiritual condition. Okay? They're not the means of our, I'm not saved by what I say, so I can, I can stand here and preach all day about Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, and, and that's true, but that doesn't make me saved. Okay. I can also say 
uh, that, uh, you know, my words aren't what condemns me. He says it's the tree is known by its fruit. It's the condition of our heart. Our words are not the means of salvation or condemnation. They're the measurable evidence of our true heart condition. So in other words, what comes out of me in my words is evidence of what's in me in my heart. And what's in me in my heart is what condemns me. I'm only saved by grace through faith. Okay? I'm only saved by grace through faith. I'm condemned because I'm, I'm living in rebellion against God. And if I'm in rebellion against God, then my words will, not, will reflect that. If I'm saved by grace through faith, my words will reflect that. I think that's what Jesus is saying to the people. Wicked words flow from wicked people who will be condemned. Righteous words flow from redeemed people who are justified. Wicked words from wicked people who are condemned. Righteous words from redeemed people who are justified by grace. Only saved by grace through faith. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe resulting in righteousness and with your mouth you confess resulting in salvation. That's the only way. You can say all the right words, but if you don't have the trust and belief in your heart, it doesn't matter. Jesus' warning is not confined to blasphemy of the Pharisees that results in damnation. Notice he says in verse 36, And I say to you that every careless word that a man shall speak. Careless words. What are careless words? Careless words. Uh, they're, they're insincere words. Empty words. Inappropriate words. Paul talks about silly, silly talk and coarse jesting, you know, jabbing, joking around that you think isn't really hurtful, but it's really condemning someone. It's really harmful to people. Flippant, crude comments. That's what. You know, we, we get in those conversations. We have those conversations. Somebody's telling you something really bad. Oh, that's terrible. You know, that's really terrible. And the inside we're thinking, I don't care. I say, well, I'll pray for you. You don't mean it. Say, if there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. But you really don't want to help. I really don't care. Those are empty words. They're just words. They're words to endear them to you. Oh, we'll get together sometime. This is one I want you to try. In the, in, somebody says that to you, say, okay, what's, get your calendar out. What's the date? When? When's it going to happen? You can do that with me too, okay? Um, because we don't want to be guilty of empty, empty chatter, idle words, empty things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, uh, Paul says, See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's not the words, but the corrupt heart from which they flow that leads to condemnation. I want you to hear me say that. It's not the words themselves, it's the corrupt heart from which they flow that leads to condemnation. Okay. On the contrary, a redeemed person's speech reflects the work of the Spirit. So believers, you know, what's the message to us? Are we growing in our expressions of compassion and kindness and care and concern and love for other people? You know? Um... Some of you know this country music singer. I don't know, never heard or never listened to the guy, but uh, the name is his star, uh, music star, Morgan Wallen. Okay? And some of you younger people might know this, but Morgan Wallen has been canceled. <laughs> you know, 
basically, because after he apologized for making a, a racial slur, he was canceled on 1,500 radio stations. And he's like one of the top upcoming country music stars in, in, in Nashville or whatever in the country. So all I'm saying is that there's no forgiveness. He, this is after he apologized. So they just assumed that, that he didn't mean what, what he said. Okay? And I don't know anything about the situation. I'm not, bringing, uh, I'm not, I'm not justifying him. I'm not uh, on his side. I'm just saying it's, it's over. You know? No forgiveness. But there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's the point I want to make. In Christ there is forgiveness. No matter what our sin or blasphemy, it can be forgiven. And that's good news for anyone against the holy God. So I ask, does your speech reflect a good heart or a bad heart? Are you an unbelieving person whose heart is unredeemed and only ungodly stuff can come out? Then I challenge you. Apply the Christ, Christ's blood to, your, to yourself. Turn from your sin and trust him. Be forgiven from him. Paul said that, and I'm not going to go to the whole slide, but you can write this down if you're taking notes. Hebrews chapter 9, he says, if, if the ashes of a heifer sprinkling satisfies for a time, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without uh, blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It's possible to be forgiven in Christ and have a good heart that speaks good words. Now, now I'm not saying every Christian speaks good words all the time. I'm getting to us in a minute, okay? It's not our work, but God's work in us that brings us to faith. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. You just say, you know, say, how do I do that? Just say, Lord Jesus, I am messed up. I know that I'm not right with you. And I'm sorry. And I recognize I've done so much. And I, I just want to turn from that and trust what you did for me on the cross as the payment for my sin. I invite you to be my Lord and Master right now. Now, the words aren't magic. Again, words don't send you to heaven or hell uh, necessarily. It's what's in our heart that sends us to heaven or hell. And then just confess it to him. Receive a new heart. And for believers, you know, we slip up. I do. I mean, I find myself every day, <laughs> you know. Let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth, Paul says in Ephesians 4. But only that which is good for edification, according to the uh, need of the hearer, according, in the moment, according to the need of the hearer. Okay, Whew. guilty, you know, I, I don't do that. But I can be forgiven I am forgiven. I just need to appropriate God's forgiveness and be restored into fellowship with God when I confess that sin. But I want to do something. I want to confess and repent and get right with God. But secondly, I would challenge us as believers to consider what steps we need not only to guard our heart, but to grow our heart. Not just to guard our heart against Him, but to grow our heart in, in intimacy with God, to spend time with Him. To saturate our minds. You know, some of you listen to music, and I, I, you can pray for me. I need to do this more, you know. The music really helps, you know. I turn it on, on the radio station, and I get uh, the, radio, the Christian radio station, and people say, yeah, I just love listening to this radio station on the way to work. It helps my soul and encourages me. Well, it does, so let's do it. I, I just need to do it, you know. It's not, it's not rocket science, uh, you know. More, more Christian music and, and less, uh, you know, something else. I'm not going to even go there. But less something else, uh, radio might be better, okay? And, and, then, and then think about this. Spending time with God, surrender our, our bodies to Him. Lord, 
take my mind and take my heart. See, what, what fills my heart, floods my mind, flows out of my mouth. And the neat thing is, as we close our service, we, we, we're reminded of how it is we're able to speak the truth and speak what's good because of what Jesus did on the cross. He went to the cross, and as we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded through these symbols of the sacrifice he made so that all who put their trust in him can get this new heart, and we can speak good words and bear good fruit for him. Every believer is welcome to take of these elements, but I just challenge you to spend a few moments before you do, examine your heart, and ask God to give you uh, insight into if there's any sin to get it right with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the truths of your word and the importance of words in our lives. I pray that you would uh, restore our hearts. I pray for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, that they would surrender their life to you today, that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ, and that you would give them that new heart that enables them to speak good things and be good fruit Help us who know Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Help us to identify them, name them, and confess them. And then take this bread and this cup with joy and celebration of what you've done to make it possible for us to be forgiven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.